We are in the uh, third message on the Relentless series, and the title of the message is, Lord, Use Me, out of Daniel chapter 2. I've really been blessed, challenged, stretched, encouraged, convicted uh, by the life of Daniel. You remember, we're not looking at uh, the prophecies of Daniel as much as we're looking at the man, the prophet Daniel, and how God used him in a pagan culture. For a little background, just remember he is a teenager. He has been sold into slavery. He's been enlisted to work and serve under the king of Babylon, and yet he maintains his integrity. And so as we talk about, Lord, use me, that's a statement that people have said to me through the years. Young people have said to me, others, "I, I just want God to use me. But I'm reminded that for God to use us, He has to make us usable. That sometimes there are things in our lives, attitudes, actions, unforgiveness, and unwillingness, and an unteachable spirit that keeps God from using us. In fact, he's using all of us as much as he can at this moment as we make ourselves available to him. Sometimes when we say, God, use me, we want him to put us in some position of honor and prestige and power. But God uses Daniel. Yes, he has a position of influence, but he is still a slave. God uses Daniel, who the king would consider on the surface a nobody, a young teenager that's been brought into the land to be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. And yet God moves Daniel to Babylon so that through Daniel, God might be glorified. How can God use us? How can God make our lives usable, distinctive, and decisive? You see, for some people, The only difference between those who say that they are Christians and those who absolutely say they're not, they're lost, they're unchurched, is where we spend Sunday morning. And increasingly, that's less and less. We are now in a world where it used to be, when I was growing up, you were at church three out of four Sundays, and many times four out of four. You know, I can remember most of my Bible study teachers, the only time they missed was when they were on a two-week vacation. Now, we consider faithful and average uh, good members that come once a month. I don't see how that works in any other area of life. It doesn't work in business. It doesn't work in family. It doesn't work in sports, but we seem to think it works with God. If we want God to use us, we're going to have to change our understanding about commitment. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. This is a long dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to cover it, and we're going to hit some high points. But let's talk about the first thing. This world system will fail you. If you're looking for hope in this world system, it will fail you. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. He's having insomnia. And then the king gave orders, and he called in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So 
He's having anxiety. He's having fear. He's shaken to the core. He calls in these counselors. They didn't have any answers. Now, one of the things, if you study dictators uh, throughout history, that you will discover in those that have studied their lives and their actions and reactions, they all stress over how long can I stay in power? Who is plotting against me? When will this be over? And they fight and they kill and they destroy to try to maintain power. His dream troubled him. The greatest ruler in the world at the time had a dream that would show him he could not control his future and he could not control his circumstances and he couldn't go to sleep. So he calls in these magicians and these conjurers and these sorcerers. And in verse 3, he makes his case. And in verse 4, they respond. Basically, here's what they say. We don't have a clue. But if you tell us what the dream was about... We will tell you what it means. He said, tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means. And they're saying, hey, tell us what it's about. We, we need to know what it's about. You see, when the world is unraveling, you need to remember some things. When it gets down into minutia, you and I need to remember that the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. The main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. In other words, don't spend your life chasing tangents. Don't spend your life on conspiracy theories. Don't waste your morning reading the horoscope. Don't spend your time on secondary issues. Put your focus on the truth of the Word of God. Now, it, it's possible that these guys had pulled this stunt one too many times. You know, baiting the king, give us enough information that we can come up with a, with a guess or an idea about what it is, and then we, we can tell you kind of what you're thinking, king, and, and why you're thinking this. But for some reason in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar does not trust them anymore. He demanded that they tell him exactly what his dream was about and prove their ability to interpret it. I mean, the scam was up. All of this stuff that these guys were getting paid to do, these sorcerers, these pontificators, these magicians, it's over for them. And they realize the writing is on the wall for them. They don't know the dream, so they can't interpret it because they don't know what to build the interpretation off of. You see, there is somewhere in this because of the doubt and the fear and the anxiety, Nebuchadnezzar has lost his trust in these men, and now he puts them to a test. Hey, we've lost trust in our society. We don't know who to trust. Trust has been replaced by cynicism, by skepticism, by anxiety, by anger, by fake news, by political agendas, by insecurity, and by personal attacks. When you lose trust, you begin to doubt God and you distrust everybody else. 
And there are people walking around today. They don't trust anybody. They've been burned. They've been hurt. They've been let down. They don't trust anybody. Well, for some reason, the most powerful man in the world at the time, the king of Babylon, doesn't trust anybody. And in verses 5 through 7, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar had operated by bribery and brutality. He had the mentality, might makes right. And in verse 7, these magicians knew they were in trouble. Now, in the notes that are available online, you, you'll see a statement that said, history tells us that nations like the Egyptians and Babylon, Babylonians depended so much on sorcerers and magicians, uh, they all had something like a dream manual. They would record all the dreams and interpretations through the years and then go and compare notes. So they had this book of dreams and interpretations of whatever king it was, they'd go back and say, oh, well, here's a king uh, you know, 30 years ago, and he had a similar dream, and this is what we told him. So they had set interpretations depending on what kind of dream it was. Now, one of the things that I marvel at in studying dictators and why anybody lets these people get into power, the, the Hitlers and the Genghis Khans and the, and the others, why anybody lets them get into power, they have a common denominator in their personality. They are insecure, they are paranoid, they are prideful, and they are cruel to their own people. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. So they're trying to get out of this. They've been put to a test. They know they're in trouble. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. So what they're saying is, Look, we're pretty familiar with that dream manual, those books of dreams, and nobody has, no king has ever asked a magician or a sorcerer anything like this. We don't have anything to fall back on. Their system has failed them. Verse 11, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, plural, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. So here's what they said. We're the experts. We don't know what to do. The foundation of their world system, their philosophy of life has just been destroyed. The rug has been pulled out from under them. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 11 and verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, nations and societies to thrive and survive cannot be built on dreams and speculations and conjurers and magicians. They have to be built on truth. And if truth is removed, the foundations crumble. One of the reasons our nation is crumbling today is we've removed some of the basic Judeo-Christian ethic foundations from our political system, from our education system, from the way we do business, the rule of right and wrong and black and white and not gray, but there's a right and there's a wrong. There's not a right for me, and, but it's not right for you. It's right and wrong. 
When those get destroyed, a nation begins to crumble. Well, these magicians' foundation was being destroyed. In fact, who can, what can the righteous do can be translated, what is the righteous one doing? God has moved into Nebuchadnezzar's life and shaken him to the core. He's revealed something to him that has scared him to death, and it's got his attention. So how do we deal, how do we be God's people, relentless, whether we're young or old, how do we deal when the foundations are being destroyed? I love what Warren Wiersbe said, each new generation must see to it that the foundations of truth and justice are solid. If you build on the wrong foundation, go to Jesus' story about building a house on the rock and building a house on the sand, and when the storms come, why are we collapsing as a culture today because we have built on sand? I'm not talking about political preferences. I'm talking about moral and ethical choices that we've made to build on that which will not last. Wiersbe says, Samuel laid again the foundations of the covenant in 1 Samuel 12, and Ezra laid again the foundation of the temple in Ezra chapter 3. You see, apart from truth, nobody has an answer. And the reality is, in many ways, we are being lied to on every level. Because when you don't know what truth is, then truth for you may not be truth for me, and everybody's telling the truth, and nobody admits they're a liar. Nobody admits that they're deceptive. They're all trying to convince you that they have answers. If we don't have the right foundation, we don't know what to stand on. We don't know what to build on. These politicians didn't know. The sorcerers didn't know. Philosophers don't know. Talk show hosts don't know. Why don't they know? They don't know because they have not built their lives on absolute truth. They don't know because they don't believe that there is a God in heaven. They don't know because they are atheists and agnostic and deist or they have embraced some polytheism belief in many gods. And they don't know because they don't believe that there is coming a day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth. So when will our leaders, politicians, educators, pastors, people, when will we say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes on you. When we say that, the first thing God will tell us to do is go to the word, see what the word says. So this king reaches the end of his rope and he doesn't want to hear these guys saying, well, if you'll tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you the interpretation. And the king says, that's it. I've had it. Verse 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. That would include Daniel. So the second point is the people of God must embrace a biblical worldview. If this world system is failing, then we better go to the world system that will last. And that's a biblical worldview. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. Two big words there that are important. He didn't just burst in and say, hey, I got all the answers. Just look at me. 
he replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. That would have included Daniel. He was there to kill Daniel. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is this decree from the king so urgent? And then he informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Notice the difference. He didn't go in and say to the king, if you'll tell me the dream, I'll give you the interpretation. He already knew what had happened to bring the king to this point. He says, just give me time and I'll tell you what it means. Then Daniel went, this is so good. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matters so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They didn't go to plot their escape. They went to pray. They went to seek the Lord. They got together, Daniel brought his friends together and said, we're going to ask God to show us what's up. So there's a little incentive, I don't want to die, and a little motivation, but at the end of the day, they want God to reveal truth to them. Not just an idea, not just a thought, not just an escape clause to get out of this persecution that was coming. But they want God to reveal truth to them, and so they prayed with this knowledge in mind. Here's why I think they did that. God had to this point in their being taken out of Jerusalem and the king trying to indoctrinate them, God had to this point spared them to have influence in Babylon, and I believe they prayed with this thought. God, we don't think you're through with us yet because this nation has not yet discovered how great you are. So I think they prayed that God wouldn't eliminate them because to this point he hadn't, that God had a purpose for them. Verse 19, then after he had talked to the king, after he had called his friends together, after they had prayed, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. You've heard this statement before. We can do more than pray after we've prayed, but not until we've prayed. Verse 14, he uses tact. He doesn't go in and say, you know, let me just tell you what losers these guys over here. He didn't call them names. He's not snarky. He's not sarcastic. He goes in, goes in and uses tact and says, can I just have a little time? I think I've got an answer for you, but I need a little time. Time to do what? Time to pray. Time to call his friends together. In verse 16, he asked for time. This is not a knee-jerk reaction. They were looking to kill Daniel, but he doesn't whine. He doesn't pout. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, after all I've done for you up to this point, I can't believe that you sent somebody to kill me. He risked his life to ask for time. Seneca, the pagan philosopher, said, only Christians and idiots are not afraid to die. Daniel got his three, three friends together and had a prayer meeting. They prayed in agreement and appealed to the character of God. Now, I used about 
15 books in, in studying this series, commentaries and books about Daniel. And, and there was one written by a man named Daniel Peel who gives five reasons why he believes God answered their prayers. Number one, Daniel asked. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Daniel asked. Notice that he needed others to pray with him. He asked his three friends to join him in prayer. They're praying in agreement where two or three of you are gathered and praying and touching anything. They're praying in agreement. Jesus took three into the garden with him. Where we turn and who we turn to in times of crisis reveals where we put our trust. Some people get in a crisis and they go to the liquor cabinet. Some people get in a crisis and they use drugs. Some people get in a crisis and they just chain smoke. God's people get in a crisis and they know to go to people that will pray with them and pray for them. Secondly, Daniel was available. He was willing to be part of the solution. He risked his life to ask the king for time. He was available. He wasn't on the sideline. There's no safety in the sidelines. It is worth noting that in the Gospels, most of the verbs in the New Testament apply to individuals. God calls individuals. Jesus called individuals, not crowds. He called people. He was available. Daniel was humble. He was humble. He didn't strut into the presence of the king. He did it with discretion. He was humble. Daniel was obedient. God revealed the truth to him. Wasn't a very popular truth. The king wasn't going to like it. But he was obedient. And then God sovereignly chose to answer. Verse 29. As for you, O king, while on your bed your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he, God, who reveals mysteries, has made known to you what will take place. In other words, your dream involves the Lord God of heaven and what's going to happen in the future. Verse 30, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me. So he's not strutting. He's humble. He's available. He's obedient. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. What Daniel is saying is, I'm just a, a man, and God revealed this for his purposes. Daniel wanted the king to know the difference between a soothsayer and a sorcerer and a magician and a revelation from God. We need godly leaders who can speak truth. We need a generation to be raised up who are not looking for how many followers they have on Instagram or how many likes they have or how many photo ops they've had or how many selfies they've taken. We, we need men to stand tall in times when everybody's hiding. To paraphrase something that Adrian Rogers said, when small men cast long shadows, there's little hope for the land. I think Adrian said it. When small men cast long shadows, the sun is setting. 
Can we just be honest? There are a lot of small men and women in this country that are casting long shadows. And it's time for men and women of God to start standing up before the sun sets on our society. Where are we going to find the Daniels? Daniel called on his God and in the enemy territory, he sought the Lord for wisdom. Verses 20 through 23 is a song of praise. I mean, Daniel worships the Lord. We don't have to cover all of this, but he praises God for answering his prayers. We ask, but sometimes we don't praise. He praises God for answering his prayers. I like what Alistair Begg says. Ours is a God who changes times and seasons, the one who sets up kings and disposes them. He didn't just praise God. He acted on what God said. He said, take me to the king and I will tell him what this dream is. Verse 27, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Circle that word in verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This goes back to Daniel's humility. He does not take credit for this dream. He gives God credit. You see, sometimes, as Ron Dunn says, we'll give God the glory and take all the credit. God wants the credit and the glory. Daniel's not saying, look how smart I am. He's saying, there's a God in heaven who can reveal things that nobody else can understand until he shows it. Those are the mysteries of God. And so let me, let me summarize this dream. First of all, God has the final word. God always has the final word. By, by the way, interesting if, if you study Daniel and you study these scriptures, there are many people that think Daniel wrote Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, which has multiple words used for the testimonies, the commandments, the statutes, the laws of God. Daniel was a student of the word, and many people say, and I think it's consistent with his life, that Daniel wrote Psalm 119. Daniel is not about his wisdom. It's about God's wisdom. And God revealed it to him. Secondly, kingdoms and empires will rise and fall. Only God's kingdom is eternal. Every empire in history, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, England, France, Spain, Russia, every, every empire is going to fall. The United States will one day fall. It will be no more. There's no reference to anything like us in the scriptures when we come to the end times. There's no America to bail out Israel in the end times. Every kingdom rises and fall. Kingdoms, Psalm 2, God says he laughs at the kingdoms and the nations that think they're going to be here forever. Now you just go visit archaeological sites. Only God's kingdom is eternal. Don't miss this fact that Daniel and his friends lived in a pagan world. They were not removed from this pagan world. They influenced this pagan world. While we live in 
this world system, this kingdom called the United States of America, or wherever you live. We need to be in it, but not of it, so that when it falls, they will know that there have been prophetic voices in their midst. Thirdly, God's spiritual and moral purposes are unchanging. If you violate them, you'll fall. There are consequences to sin. There are consequences to violating the spiritual and moral purposes of God. Number four, everything and anyone who stands against the God of heaven will ultimately be destroyed. Start at the top. The devil is one day going to be bound in hell for all eternity. He is on a loose and short chain right now, but he does not have all power. Anything, everyone, demonic, satanic, or flesh that stands against God will ultimately be destroyed. You better make sure in this spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in that you're on the right side. Number four, you can be religious and miss heaven. That's Nebuchadnezzar, at least at this point in his life. Seems that it changes later on, but at this point, Daniel interprets this dream. Daniel's life is spared, but in verse 46, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods. Notice, a God of gods, a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. So the king had a religious experience. He had a soulish experience. The, the dream probably wasn't what he wanted to find out that it was, but at least he knew God had revealed something. But he, he used good words, but he didn't call on the Lord God of heaven, a God, one of many. He's still a polytheistic. He still is leaning on the other gods, false gods of this world. The Roman emperor and Christian-hating Julian, who uh, ruled from A.D. 332 to 363, was mortally wounded in a war with the Persians. While his expedition was in progress, one of Julian's followers met a Christian in Antioch and said, what is the carpenter's son doing? He's referring to Jesus. And the Christian replied, the maker of the world, whom you call the carpenter's son, is employed in making a coffin for your emperor. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment let me end with this quote from E. Stanley Jones. The last word will be the, the last word will be spoken by God, and that last word will be victory. The last word will be spoken by God, and that last word will be victory. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that our choices matter, our decisions matter, that praying matters, that surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ to pray in agreement in these times matters. 
May we understand that anything we're trusting in other than you will ultimately fall and fail. Raise up Daniels. Raise up young men and young women to be soldiers of the cross, to be carriers of the truth, to show this lost world that there is a God in heaven. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.